0: I was thinking about this subject this week. And if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 18, verse 17. I love these little times together. They're so intimate, aren't they? Genesis 18. Genesis 18 and verse 17. And. I just think it's so, um, it's such an awesome thought to think of this verse when it says, the second part of the verse, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? And you can put your name there. You know, we can put our name in there. Shall I hide from me? Put my name in there what God is doing. And God doesn't want to hide from us what he's doing. And God was going to do a great work there. Even though it was a terrible work with Sodom and Gomorrah, God was going to blow the city away. But it was an amazing work, and God didn't want to hide it from Abraham. And in Psalm 25, verse 14, it says, The secret of the Lord Is with those that fear him. He will show them his covenant. And when we just think about this morning about God's secret, that God has a secret. And this secret is something that has been uh, hid for many, many ages and was revealed to us through Jesus Christ. This is the mystery that is described in the New Testament that mystery of God that's now revealed and the prophets in the Old Testament really desired to know what the secret was and what the in 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 12 it says that the angels also desire to look in and to see this secret and when we think about this mystery or the secret or the new covenant um, and I want to talk about that a little bit this morning in reference to what we started talking about last week about faith is that God has a secret, and when we think of people keeping secrets, we think of um, secrets that sometimes are hidden because of just dishonesty or insincerity, or just for the sake of shame, or just because someone doesn't want to reveal the truth about something. And we see this happening right now in in our world of politics, don't we? We see this whole discussion about secrets being kept. And, um, and, uh, she can come on in if she wants. And so when we think about secrets, um, people have secrets. We have secrets, don't we? All of us have secrets. And these secrets are something that are, um, things that are in our lives that, um, whatever it could be. These are things that, and it's interesting, isn't it, that God has created human beings to have a part of them that is very, very private that nobody knows about. Isn't that interesting? That this we have this privacy with God and that there are things that are between us and God that that God works out in our life and that maybe no one ever finds out about. And I'm not talking necessarily about bad things. I'm just talking about Things in our life that God is dealing with us with. And these secret things are things that are in our life that um, are things that God knows. And when we think about this, and sometimes we hear pit preachers preach about the secret sin, and you know, sometimes it's very kind of a terrifying message to listen to. You know, God knows your secret sin. Well, of course he knows that, he knows everything else. And he knows, of course, all the other sins that we haven't even ever committed yet. And whatever, and that is the secret between, that's the privacy that we have between us and God, the, the privacy of our relationship with God. And we call it here the believer priesthood. And so when God deals with us in a very private way, he wants to reveal something to us, and that is the secret of the Lord. And what is the secret? What is the secret that God wants to reveal to Abraham, to Moses, to all of his friends in the Old and New Testament. What is that secret that God wants to reveal to us in the church age? In the world that we live in today, it is expected that all secrets be revealed and displayed openly. Because, quote unquote, everyone has the right to know. And this is the information that the devil will like to traffic. He would like to traffic all of this information in the political world, in the social world, in the in the world of media, uh, in the world of people's private lives. The devil wants to take all of this information and traffic it, and he does this in a very self-righteous way because the devil is very self-righteous. Uh, he is the most self-righteous being on the planet, in the universe. He is he is convinced that he has been wronged by God and that he is is being wronged by the angels and that he has been wronged by man being put on the earth to rule the earth that he was originally given to rule before man was created. And so the devil wants to traffic this information and he wants to gather this information and he wants to corrupt people with information. We, just, we read this description about the devil in the book of Isaiah that he was that God knew in Isaiah 14 his traffic. And so we find that, like gossip is traffic. Uh, every day we are living in uh, society and in cultures that there is information that's being trafficked. Information that's trafficked because of curiosity, uh, because there's an appetite to see someone else's failure, to see someone else's. Maybe we are jealous of someone and we are really just waiting for someone. To tell us some juicy information about that other person this is just human information isn't it we we see someone else's success another another i don't know another organization's success and there are people that are on the internet that will literally write things about another organization that is being successful because they're jealous there is just that jealousy and this is this is information and God hates this. God hates that kind of traffic of information and because just because something is true or let's say let's say it this way, just because something is a fact it doesn't necessarily mean it's true and I don't mean to play on words here, but just because the devil can say, well this happened and this happened it doesn't necessarily that mean that this is really reality. Um, and so the point here that I'm making is is that, what is the secret of God? What is the thing that the devil doesn't want people to know about? Well, God revealed the secret, and the secret is really the humility of his forgiveness. that God humbled himself, came in the form of a man, paid for sin in the flesh, in Romans eight verse three. Uh, Condemning sin in the flesh, and exercising salvation, inviting whosoever will to believe on His Son, will have eternal life. That's the secret of God. That is God's secret. It's my conviction that, and I, it's it's probably true, that the devil never for, never imagined that God would ever humble Himself and come in the form of a man. It, because the devil is so proud and so arrogant that he never would have calculated that God would come in the form of one of these sinful, pitiful creatures and in the flesh, live in the flesh for 33 years and pay for their sin. Uh, the devil is so proud, and I don't know if I've spoken about the, this here, but the arrogance of the devil is so great that he cannot perceive humility. When he perceives humility, when he perceives forgiveness, when he perceives grace, he interprets it as weakness. He interprets it as compromise. He interprets it as something other than what it really is. And so, when the prophecy came in the book of Genesis that God would, uh, that God through the woman would crush serpent's head, I don't believe that the devil really understood exactly what that meant because the devil would have never imagined in his finite in mind, because he is finite, the devil is not infinite, he's finite, uh, he would have never imagined in his mind that God would have had the humility and the guts and the courage to come in the form of us and to pay for sin in the flesh. Isn't that amazing? And when, when we think about God, when we think about uh, people, this is really, um, I think, something that goes way beyond the devil's understanding. So when we think about God's forgiveness and when we think about God's courage to come in the form of, the, of a man, at first for us, it's not something that we can easily comprehend. It's something that we need to have a personal rhema to have about it, that Christ came in the form of you and I the devil when he when he saw man created and placed in the garden of eden he was immediately challenged because god gave man weak mankind the 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 task the authority and the responsibility to rule over the earth that lucifer had that he lost when he fell from heaven and now Lucifer looks this beautiful or now Satan this previously very beautiful very talented beautiful sounding angel is now looking at a finite person that has needs appetites desires and sees this man now who is weaker um, potentially weaker than he is rule over his domain this for the devil was a huge problem. And so when that's why he came and he de- desired to save man through Eve. And so what is God's secret? What was God's plan? What was God's uh, thinking? The secret here was forgiveness. And, you know, if you look at all the religions of the earth, you're going to find that Christianity is the only religion that has a message of forgiveness. Um, That's number one. You're going to find that Christianity is the only religion that has a belief system based on God-forgiving man through sacrifice. You're not going to find that in any other religion in the world. This is what makes Christianity so different and so powerful. This is forgiveness for people who do not deserve one ounce of forgiveness The devil understood the justice of God because the devil was in the presence of God for an undefined amount of time. He understood the nature of God, that God is a God of justice. But as an angel, and as well as the other angels, the devil didn't understand grace. Uh, God's angels did not understand grace yet. It was an aspect of the nature of God that had not been revealed yet in creation. Uh, It is possible that, you know angels were ruling aspects of the universe with the different um, different uh, responsibilities and through the universe was glorifying God. That the, all the stars and the constellations were gl- glorifying God until the fall. And then when the fall happened, uh, there was still not that understanding of the grace of God. And so this is the secret of God, I think, through the ages that God in his justice sent his son to be in our place, to stand in our place, to take upon himself the image or the association with us. Uh, Jesus was guilty in many ways, by, one way by association. The moment that he associated with us, he was guilty. He was guilty. Like he associated with us. And he was guilty. Immediately he was guilty because that was the way the justice of God was. So if we are to have a ministry of any kind, we really need to be filled and motivated with the love and the forgiveness of God. You know, this past Wednesday when we were down there and doing the street ministry, I looked at these people and I had several, you know, I had several conversations with these people. And these are people that have probably a lot of secrets in their life, as a lot of people do. But also, a lot of these secrets really were very open. You could look at their life and you could see exactly what was going on. There were homeless people there. There were people that were high. There were people that were living just very different kinds of lives. And when we think about God's forgiveness, these people are just as forgiven as you and I are today. And God knows what is happening in these people's lives with their... unspoken situations and when we think about our life and maybe that aspect of our life that is between us and God that may be things that people don't know about instead of living in condemnation and fear and guilt and um, uh, a separation from God we need to understand that, number one, God knows us. He knows every aspect of us. He knows every detail of us. Uh, God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows things about us that we don't even know about ourselves yet. Um, did you ever do something and you were so surprised that you said something or did something and you thought, I can't believe that I was even able to do that, that I, that I did that? And you know something? God knew. God knew in eternity past. And God knows even things that we have not done yet or said or thought that, that are already been taken care of at the cross. Sometimes people make more of an issue of things that are happening in their life. They make that a bigger issue than the nature and the power of God himself. People take, we take aspects of sin. We take aspects of temptation or fear or failures. We take these things, and sometimes because of just not understanding the grace and the forgiveness of God, we lift that higher than the cross. And we actually are worshiping the terribleness of something rather than the glory and the wonder of who Christ is and his grace. When we put, great, when we put sin and the, and the failure of mankind in the perspective of the cross that it has been paid for already, that it's been taken care of by God already, we are no longer glorifying something that the devil wants to traffic. You know, um, there are just some things that, like, you know, people say, well, that should be talked about, that should be exposed, that should be. But I think that there are some things that God doesn't want exposed and talked about and trafficked. Because there's too much room for self righteousness in there, you know. That's not my problem. So. <laughs> no, of course, all, really that. all of us could be, all of us can put ourselves in that place, <laughs> and so like, and I'm just talking about human nature in in, in general. I, I'm not picking on anybody here, but all of us have that place that that we all of us inside of us have a Pharisee, and all of us have inside of us a prodigal son, and we have these two. Um, nature's inside of us, the Pharisee with the prodigal son, or we could say it this way, the elder son and the and the prodigal son. And what God wants to do and what God has already done is He taken he's taken all of that to the cross and he's crucified that. And I think that sometimes we can find ourselves, and I don't know what's happening in our lives or people's lives. I'm just saying from, and I say this a lot, that many times I preach about things that are happening in my life. And I don't mean to be a subjective preacher, but I just share what... What God is showing me during the week, but sometimes I think that we can have conversations about things with people that have that's already been crucified, and it's already been taken care of by God, and there, there are things that have already been decided by god and and I think that when we do that, we are doing despite to the blood of Christ, and I was just thinking this morning I was getting ready that you know the meetings that we have here Sunday mornings they're very sacred you know they're just really sacred these are we're very sacred people the few that are here or the great number that are that are here is very sacred and uh, it's because of the blood of jesus christ and god's people are very very sacred and we are sacred you are very sacred we are purchased with the blood of christ we have the same value in the eyes of god as jesus has in the eyes of god did you know that you know that but we don't always feel that way do we that you and I have the same value in the eyes of God as his son, you know? So when we pray and we ask God for things, why would we think that God would not answer those prayers because we've done something or we've thought something or maybe we're worried about something in our life that is, quote-unquote, a secret, you know, or whatever? All of these things need to be brought to the cross, and Secrets, not secrets or whatever thing, all of that goes to the cross and we surrender to the cross and we say, God, in Hebrews chapter 12, all things are open and naked before Christ, before the word of God. And, and that means that God can, God's word has judged all. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, God has judged all in unbelief and therefore he has had mercy upon us all. And so, when we think about this, um, I, you know, I, um, and I, I think all of us have seen this. You know, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, a, a Christian individual, high-profile Christian individual, may fail in their life, and it's just, it's just so, it's just so unnecessarily publicized for the whole United States to see and the whole world to see. I don't think that God takes pleasure in that. I think, that, I think that that's what really God hates. Like when Saul failed and wound up ending his life prematurely, what did David say? He said that this was the Lord's anointed. And don't publish this. We've heard Pastor Stevens talk about this. Don't publish this in Gath. Gath was this Philistine city, which was just filled with all the enemies of Israel and all the enemies of, of Christ and all the enemies of God. And there is a world that we live in that has enemies of who God is. And this is namely the world that the devil is really controlling. And so, what David is saying, he's communicating the heart of God that don't publish this in Gath. God doesn't want the sins of the believer published in the world. God doesn't want that. I'm not referring to anything in specific. I'm just talking about the integrity of God in forgiveness. That when God has forgiven us, he has erased it from his omniscience. When God has forgiven you and I and and other people, it it has been erased from the record. It cannot be brought up in the eternal court. You know how the judge throws out certain information and says that cannot be part of the jury's conclusion? Well, God has done the same thing. The devil comes in; he is cross-examining people. He is trying to get people to, trying to get us to trip up and speak up, speak against the nature of God. But the Lord throws out all of that because He's already paid for that. That has, it's like a process. It's like a prosecuting eternity come attorney, uh, attorney coming into the courtroom and saying, "I want to bring up." This other this other person's offense in relationship to the person on trial, and God says, God the Judge says, you cannot bring that up because it's already been that his sentence has already been served and judgment has already been passed. So that can that is not a legitimate part of the court session. And so, what is the secret of God? What is that thing that is so unbelievable that no one would have ever imagined that God would have done? It's that God sent His Son in humility to forgive and so if we are to have a ministry of any kind we really need to be filled with forgiveness Um, and when we are filled with this forgiveness and there's this love there's an anointing in our life that takes us and makes our ministry so powerful and pertinent what's so powerful about the ministry of Christ is forgiveness what made him a greater prophet than all the other prophets of course, he was the Son of God, but his ministry of forgiveness, this unconditional. unconditional love, and this is the greatest message that God humbled Himself. Mm-hmm. Like and this is the lie. This is the lie that is surrounding our earth. Is that God is a God of unconditional mm-hmm. love? Because I didn't realize that the God of the Muslims is not the same God as our God. Yeah, absolutely. I always thought it was the same God and after Musa spoke I realized mm-hmm. that's why they're so distorted and that's why we have to forgive them because their God mm-hmm. is a God of lies yeah Allah is not it's the God like, of the Bible it's no. a totally different God yeah absolutely and this is what Islam doesn't have they don't have forgiveness no. they, when when you talk to a Muslim about how does Allah deal with Your mistakes, if you sin, and they say, "Well, Allah is merciful," but on what basis is He merciful? Where is the sacrifice for your sin? Uh, Allah can't can't be can't be justfully merciful without the payment for sin, and so without giving people the choice, the the greatest the greatest thing that Islam can, or any other religion for that matter, can can put put out there is. That God just is tolerant. That God winks at sin. That God just. Uh, what about the Jews? Do they have forgiveness? Yeah, they have forgiveness through. I mean, anyone has forgiveness at the moment that they believe on Christ as their Savior, and and really, this is the greatest message that um, that we could really be sharing. And this is the message we want to be um, we want to be sharing with people, and, act, and not only with people, but individually in our family. That. Uh, I heard recently, and I don't remember who said this, but they said it this way, that marriage is the continual act of two people forgiving each other. (laughs) I think that that's so true. Or any relationship. Absolutely. in friendships or with relationships with families, kids. So forgiveness is not weakness. The devil says that forgiveness is weakness, that, okay, you're the weaker party because you forgave, the offending party the offending party is the stronger party no it's the other way around in the eyes of god the more powerful party is the party that is forgiving is the person that says you are forgiven um and pastor Schaller has taught this too that we don't have a choice we have to forgive we must it's absolutely something that we have to do in our life we are commanded to forgive This is one of the most impossible aspects of our Christianity, forgiving people and forgiving ourselves. And that's why there has to be a huge big cross in the middle of our faith. That when Jesus said to Peter, You have to forgive your brother 70 times seven, Peter said, Lord, increase our faith. I mean, remember when he said, Increase our faith? That was what he was referring to. He was referring to not an impossible circumstance in his life, he was referring to forgiving his brother. And maybe even it was John that that Jesus was asking Peter to forgive. Because some commentators say that Peter and John had a little thing going on, like a little conflict. But we don't know. We can't prove that. But it's interesting to note the way they refer to each other. And that is the big cross that has to be in our Christianity, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our workplace. That there's a big, 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 big rugged cross of forgiveness And that if I've been forgiven of all of my sin, then I have to also forgive people. And I have to also forgive unsaved people as well. And how does this work? Well, it's really amazing that Christ is the example of how this whole thing works. That Christ, who had never sinned in his life, the creator of the world, creator of the universe, the creator of everything that we enjoy came to this earth as a servant of a much lower much baser world than where he had come from and he could have said you know guys i didn't have to come here i didn't have to do this uh, where is the respect where is the honor where's the thanks where's the worship where is where is what I, where is the most basic things that i deserve as king he didn't come in that way. He came as a servant. Gods in other religions uh, never experienced suffering, temptation, or betrayal. You know, when you think of gods of other religions, they never experienced betrayal. They never experienced unjust death. They never experienced uh, any kind of suffering. Um, the only suffering that maybe some of these of these religious figures. Experienced was self-induced like Buddha or fasting or something that in, in some way resulted in getting glory for themselves. God is the only one, the only God that ever experienced rejection even though he was perfect and that he was good. And so when we look at this application of what I'm talking about here, we can see this with Joseph and his three brothers and his several brothers um, Joseph here, and I think this is one of the most amazing stories. I love this story, and I, I can just quickly recap it. Joseph is sold into slavery to the enemies of Jacob's family, the Egyptians. He is taken, and, he's lied, and he's, uh, his brothers lie to his father about Joseph being taken. His, his father is heartbroken for many, many years Many years, not just for a few months or a few weeks, for years. And the guilt is just starting to accumulate in his brother's minds. But God takes Joseph, puts him through a process, and then promotes him. And Joseph was in jail for about seven years. He had an opportunity to get out. He doesn't get out, but he's in there for another seven years and one commentator said that it may have been because god was still trying to work forgiveness in joseph's life that joseph had not yet quite forgiven his brothers that's just a speculation but those 14 years in prison god was doing something in joseph's soul and joseph gets out of prison he is risen he he is lifted up to a very high position next to the pharaoh and then we find that his brothers show up not knowing that this is Joseph, Hollywood could not have come up with a better plot. This is an amazing story, and so Joseph's brothers come. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. He leaves the room because he's overcome, he comes back, and he that is just his moment of revenge at that moment. You know um, he could have just said, "God has brought these brothers to me." Uh, they are poor, they are troubled, they are, they are suffering, and I can finish them off. But jo- what does Joseph do? Joseph shows mercy. And this is the amazing story of the mercy and the forgiveness of Joseph to his brothers. And this is, a, Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. And there's three levels of forgiveness that we see with Joseph. The first level is that he did not demand compensation for the sin. That's the first level, and this is the first level of forgiveness for us, that we're not demanding from people repayment for people's sin. This is what it's called We call this mercy. Mercy does not give us what we deserve. That's mercy, that God has shown us mercy, and He's not giving us. I think there's a lot of things in our life that we don't reap because of the mercy of God. If we show mercy, if we show I think all of us could just today be prostrate before the Lord and just say, "God, he's so merciful to us," and we could just be so amazed at God's mercy, that God does not give us. And when we are merciful, there's a lot that the book of James talks about that when we show mercy, God is going to show mercy to us. And I think that there are a merciful person in His life is not reaping a lot of the things that we deserve. Isn't that interesting? So that's the first level of forgiveness. Joseph does not give his brothers what they deserve. The second level is um, is is Leviticus 19, verse 18, that we don't hold a grudge. Now, maybe we don't give people what they deserve, but maybe we hold a grudge. And the Bible says in Leviticus 19 all the way at the beginning of the bible it makes it clear do not hold a grudge don't hold a grudge against your brother and so not only do we not not only do we show mercy and don't give people what they deserve and we could so easily kind of just god brings them to us we could so easily kind of just move a finger and there would just be total judgment on those people or we could show mercy And Joseph shows mercy, but he doesn't hold a grudge against his brothers. And that's the second level. And then the third level, which is the highest level of forgiveness, is that Joseph erases the past sin as though it never happened. Joseph just erases it. He doesn't bring that into the conversation. It's not part of the narrative with his brothers. The brothers bring it up. But when when the brothers bring it up, what does Joseph do? He just says, you know, what the devil meant, he said, what was meant for evil, God had a bigger plan, a bigger picture, a bigger, a bigger purpose. And that's the highest level of forgiveness. And I think that for us to truly forgive and to forget, which is the most impossible part, for us to fully forgive and to forget, The only way for us to do that is to see a bigger picture. That it was part of God's plan for Joseph to suffer victimhood so that he could be brought into Egypt and be brought to a place where he could bless his brothers. When we look at the purpose of God, we have to understand that God's purpose is bigger. That it's not about me and what I'm suffering and what I deserve and what happened to me and how I was wronged. And what I deserve? Yes, those are those are valid questions. But the bigger picture is, can I, in the circumstance, be the victim and forgive, so that God's purpose can be revealed? And this is the main point of what I'm saying this morning: is that is that can I be the victim in a situation voluntarily and not react and say, "Okay, God, you have a bigger purpose in this." even though I don't see it. I am being the victim here. I am victimized. I have been, du- I have been duly wronged. I have been maybe, maybe even criminally wronged in some area of my life. Maybe I've been wronged as an individual. Maybe my rights have been denied in some way that I have been uh, victimized, and I could actually have a big case about it. But for me to forgive and to forget, I need to see the bigger picture of this. What is the bigger picture what is God doing in my brother's lives? What is God doing in my father Jacob's life? What is God doing for the future of Israel? Okay, this is what Joseph was thinking by faith, those 14 years in prison, or how many of our years he was in prison. He was there, God was working deeply and showing him about forgiveness. And, I, you know, to forgive someone, I don't say that it can happen in a day. It maybe took, maybe it took 14 years for Joseph to forgive his brothers. But he was on that path of forgiveness. He made that decision. I'm going to make a decision in my heart to forgive. And maybe that takes a long time. (laughs) You know, maybe it takes a long time, and that's okay, because God will work with us. Hebrews 10, verse 2, makes this last point uh, so true that God has forgiven us, to the point where we should no longer live with any consciousness of sins. And that word is sins is in the plural, which means not just one, but many. When we come to God and worship, God does not want us to be living in the consciousness of sins. God wants us to be living in the consciousness of his presence. Um, Christianity is not about us stopping from sinning which many people would like to see happen. Christianity is about understanding how powerful the work of the cross is and how powerful the finished work is that, that Christ crucified all of our sin that he crucified all of these things and that that I don't have the right to remember someone else's sin but not even my own sin. I don't have that right to live in that. So, just to finish this, um, Why do we need to forgive? What does this change? If I forgive someone, what does it change? How does this change the circumstance? It takes all the power out of the um, situation. It takes all the energy, the negative energy, all the power, all of the... All the power that the devil is... All the the entertainment. All the... You start thinking, what are you going to do to the person? Yeah. I mean, we're all... all, You know, when we shift into that, I don't know neutral mode in your mind where you're just neutrally in your mind, you're, you're just I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but you're just mind, you're not in control, your mind is just kind of talking and talking and talking and you're just kind of, I don't know you're doing something at work or something and, and you have these, this flow of thoughts coming like, like oh I, you know, this person someday is going to wind up paying for what they did you know, I'm not going to necessarily do that, but, but life is just and, and people use this word karma, you know, karma is going to come and get them, you know, and, and it's like karma is just a demonic system of, uh, it's so demonic that, that like, you know, there is no karma when there's a cross, you know, the cross crucifies all karma, you know, I mean, karma, like good karma or bad, how's your karma today? Good or bad? I don't know. I have no karma. It's all crucified, um, because all of that has been crucified and for me to talk about uh sin in someone else's life like we that is very very I mean we you know the sin needs to be addressed in the in the in the correct way through the word of God through like I remember in Baltimore at the elders meetings we didn't sit there and just talk about people's sin so people's wonder like what do you guys talk about in these elders meetings we don't sit and talk about people's sin and what's happening with that person and why are they doing that? And we're not in there judging people. I mean, the first, I mean, the meetings would be three, sometimes four hours. Most of the meeting is just fellowship, talking, talking vision, talking about what we want to do. How can we support missions? How can we support what we're doing? How can we support, what does God want to, how is God leading us? What does God want to do in the future? And if there is something that's happening in somebody's life, you know um you know pastor hadley just does a lot of counseling and you know and, but he never he's never talking about he's never talking about people's sin he's not you know even if something comes up like the other elders don't even know many times who he's talking about you know or anyone else is talking about because because we understand and we've been taught for so many years that 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 the blood of Christ is so sacred that we cannot trample on the blood of Christ. And if we ever want the swift judgment of God, then we can just start judging people. (laughs) If you ever want to experience chastisement, then, then start judging individuals. So why does this change? I just need to finish up here. We forgive number one, for God's sake. We just forgive for God's sake, for Christ's sake, for the blood's sake, you know, I have to forgive because Christ is already forgiven. And I have to honor that. You know, when the when the cherubim were looking at the Ark of the Covenant, they weren't looking around. They were looking at the blood at the mercy seat. They were facing down at that point. And that's the highest angels of God in heaven. That God today, today is not searching to and fro to find who's sinned and who has not sinned. God is his... The focus of heaven is on the blood of Christ. That, that, is, that is when it comes to man, when it comes to you and I, Christ uh, is the issue. And the angels of heaven are looking at the secret of God, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. The second reason why we need to forgive is for our own sake. And I think someone has already said that here this morning, that we, it's connected with our, with our well-being. That if we forgive the offender then it'll be well with us. It'll be well for us. If we forgive, we're going to have a flow of blessing in our life. Maybe the other person never gets right with God, but you know what? If we forgive, then, then it's going to be well with us, and we will be healthy people. And if the relationship is restored or if it's not restored, then that's God's business. You know, Maybe someone has done something to destroy a relationship, Uh, our relationship with them we forgive them even though the relationship is never restored when that person comes to our mind we just say you know what forgiven forgiven and we have to consciously consciously say that we have to consciously say okay forgiven they are forgiven and that's the most important thing that because the first thought comes what they did to us that hurt the pain is there yes but bottom line forgiven I've forgiven them that's the decision that I've made in my life, and whether the relationship is restored or not, they are forgiven. And then, lastly, for the offender's sake, we need to forgive people for their sake, first for God's sake because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, for our sake. But lastly, for the offender's sake, you know, the person that has that has um, that has offended us. When we forgive someone. We're stepping back, and we're allowing God to deal with that person. Sometimes God can't deal with people because nobody's forgiven them. (laughs) And we've all become judges, and so God's like, Okay, I'll let you guys take care of them and see how you guys do judging that person. But that person never, ever enters into the chastisement or the merciful work of God because we are too busy not forgiving them. And when we play the judge, then we're limiting God, and we're tying his hands and we're not allowing God to deal with things because we are involved. When we forgive people, we're stepping back and we're allowing God to come into the scene. And we are happy, we are released, we are healthy physically, mentally, spiritually. Like, you know, lack of forgiveness, bitterness, we all know it It, it secretes bad toxic chemicals in our bloodstream. Uh, it's bad for our digestion, it's bad for our respiratory, it's bad for our neurological, it's bad for us bitterness for us is just bad in every way but when we forgive ourselves when we forgive other people we are actually in a place of well-being we're a place where God can bless and we're putting that person in a place where God can deal with them and someone may say well justice you have to do something about that well if we've gone to someone alone and spoken to them and we've done it God's way then you know what happens God is free to work in that person's life. And sooner or later, yes, not karma, but God will deal with a person. And you know what's amazing is that when God deals with people, when God deals with us, he does that in such an honorable and respectful way. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, about the woman caught in adultery. God, Jesus was so respectful and so honorable and so um, valued this woman so much that He did not dare to uh, rail her or to be sarcastic with her or in any way to um, uh, uh, despise her value as a child of God. And so um, these are the reasons why we need to forgive and to understand that we're forgiven and that this is the secret of God. And, you know, if there are things in people's lives... Like, when I counsel people, I just don't want to know all the details sometimes. I just want to know as least as possible. That's just my personal... Because that way, the less information that I have that is outside of the cross, it's the best. You know, like, when someone says something to me about, um, you know... I remember a few years ago, someone was sharing something with me, and and I was like, I, I just don't need to know all the details... Like, let's, let's just focus on how we can restore this person, you know, because all the details that's God's business, that's at the cross. And if people have been impacted, yes, we need to deal with that. But I am not the wielder of righteousness and execution of judgment. I, you know, we are just the communicators of a great cross. And you know, something there can be a lot of healing in people's lives. You know, when someone fails and they ask for forgiveness, it's not fair for us to bring that back to their mind and say, you know, don't you know? Do you remember when you did this? Or I'll never forget. That's just not fair because when we do that, then we we're not allowing them to heal. We're not allowing them to recover. And we're not allowing them to d- to discover God's plan and their, God's future. When you're counseling people, though, and it's not about others, about mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. and um, and they're you know, looking at their, their focus is off and, and, and they're all enthralled in whatever you know, the devil is doing. Um, I mean, are you then also selective in, in what they share with you or do you let them pour out their heart? Yeah. I think that listening to people is really important, like letting them pour their heart out. And of course, there's some things that we're just not going to be able to filter and, you know, we're not going to be able to tell them, hey, don't do that. Don't say that. Um, but we can apply it. We can bring in the cross and just say, you know, um, that's happened, but it's been forgiven or it's been that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you and I think we should have the freedom to challenge people and say, you know what, you're, you keep referring to that, but you're talking about something that God has already
1: mm-hmm.
0: dealt with, mm-hmm. That that's part of, you know, and maybe it's not something even bad, maybe it's just unbelief, maybe we're just living in unbelief, or just pes- spiritual pessimism, and we're like, you know, um, we're not processing what God is doing in our hearts, we're, we're, we're processing things in an external way. and But, yeah, when we counsel people, the key really is to keep bringing them back to the cross, keep bringing them back to the finished work. Yeah, because you don't have to be afraid of anything they say. You know, no. God is not afraid. Yeah. You know? His love is a big shield. Mm-hmm. The cross is a big shield. And all the junk has a place there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a spiritual dump, you know? <laughs> just dump it all there. It's yeah. crucified, you know? I think Pastor Jason just said, you know, we're not supposed to carry our burdens. We're supposed to take it to the cross. Right. So just recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think unforgiveness is like eating poison and hoping the other person gets sick. I mean, you're just <laughs> punishing yourself. Yes. If you don't forgive. Yeah. No, I mean it's just like a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, unforgiveness is going to ultimately cost you your health and your life. Yeah. Well, you know, Joseph had a lot of pain. I'm sure he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of heartbreak, and we we don't we don't deny the fact that there's pain there. No, and it takes time to process it. It took him yeah. 14 years, but some of us can get it. Yeah, and so when someone says, when we say, okay, forgive and forget, someone may may come back and say, well, you know what? You were not there. You didn't experience this. You don't know my pain. Well, I don't know your pain. I don't know the pain that you've been through. And I don't think any person could ever know your pain fully, but Christ does. Christ knows your pain. He knows the pain of betrayal. He knows the pain. And so, like, the fact that you and I have pain is not an excuse or does not give us the right to live in something that has been already crucified. And someone may really react to that. And when someone's living in a lot of pain, um, that's where wisdom of words comes in. Like, we really got to have the right wisdom, you know, about how we talk and how we share with people. And, you know, because you may get a very... goodness is a gift we give ourselves. It really is a gift. Yeah, it's something that has already happened, and we can forgive so many people, but never forgive ourselves. You know, because we may have some standard in our life that's just not even God's standard. Like you know, like you know, in Eastern Europe, you know, if a woman has a messy house, then it's a terrible, uh, it's a terrible sign of her you know womanhood or motherhood or wifehood or whatever i mean okay yeah i mean that's we want clean houses but that's not that's not spirit that has nothing to do with spirituality you know what i'm saying there are these some of these standards that we have that that have nothing to do with god's standards yeah. or righteousness or salvation so people live in unforgiveness or guilt about things that are not even spiritual you know so yeah something we could probably talk about all day but I love it that you say it's it's a secret mm-hmm. to people not in Christianity I never thought about it people that aren't Christians it's a secret to them mm-hmm. it's like a mystery like how do they they don't know how to process it maybe I can finish with this one story about Richard Wormbrandt and Sabina um you know the story, he was in jail for many years because of his faith. And uh, he got out of jail. And one day there was a knock at the door and there was an older man there. And the story goes that the man, uh, they had just sat down to start eating Richard and Sabina. Sabina goes to the door, answers the door, and there's an older man there. And he says, "Uh, my name is so-and-so and I am the man that was responsible for your husband's imprisonment for 14 years that you that you did not see your husband for so many years and she she said come on in she sat him down at the table and he came to res- to ask for forgiveness but they didn't even let him talk they just ministered to him and they blessed him with dinner and they just ministered Christ to him and he met Christ that day And I think when we forgive people, that's when we are the most Christ-like. You know, we're the most God-like when we forgive people. Someone said that. I don't remember who said that. But um, when we forgive, we're the most God-like. We're the most Christ-like. Amen.